Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Associate Pastor Terry File. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. It's, it's good to be with you. And as you could see, we are in a series called Restore. Uh, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been really looking at uh, we're going to be looking at issues that God is doing a work in our lives because our God, the good news is that our God is in the restoration business. Uh, and so thankful for that. If you think back to the beginning, when Adam and Eve distrusted the heart of God, in that moment, everything fractured. Everything broke. Uh, all creation. Separation began between uh, people and their creator. Difficulties began to rise between husband and wife and within families and communities. But Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God and to begin this restorative process. And as it says in Romans 8, it says that all of creation actually is groaning, is, is crying out, anticipating the day when God will make everything right, well, he will, when he will finally and fully heal and remake and restore everything. But we live in this in-between time. And there's so much brokenness and pain still around us. But the good news is, is that God wants to use each of us as Christ followers uh, to join Him in His work to help people be restored to relationship with Him and then for relationships to be restored. If you think about it, life is relationships. The rest is just details. Right? It's all about relationships. And God celebrates when, when restoration comes in a relationship, no matter how long it takes, no matter when it happens. And that is grace. That is His grace. And it is, seems like in the middle of the brokenness and the, the messes is where, where grace is most evident, it's most felt, and it's most experienced. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about how do we... How do we restore peace in our homes, in our families? Because quite honestly, uh, so many of our homes would not be characterized as homes of peace. Uh, it was timely that when I started, the day I started working on this message, I, I went into Starbucks right up here at Westcott. All the seats were taken, and I'm like, wow. So they have this huge table in there that sits about eight people. So I got my coffee. I went and sat on the corner. And I quickly realized that there were five other people at that table were a family. It was mom, dad, and three girls. I would guess the girls were probably 9, 12, and 16. And I, I could just tell very quickly that they lived with mom, and they spent weekends with dad, and he was talking with them, and they were their voices were raising about how when they spend time with him, all they want to do is go do stuff, like go to the Velocity Trampoline Place, or uh, go shopping, or go to the movies and not really want to talk and that type of stuff. And so the mom the whole time is sitting there. I'm, I'm right here. And she's like two seats down from me. She's sitting there like this the whole time, head down, not, not looking. And the girls were arguing with their dad, and it was pretty loud. Uh, and the family was divided. I mean, you could cut the tension with a knife. It was so thick. And it broke my heart. And I could sense anxiety and frustration. As a matter of fact, at one point, about 30 minutes in from when I got there, the, the 12-year-old girl uh, gets up, jumps up, walks away, goes across Starbucks, sits down on one of those padded chairs, lays her head down on an armrest, lets out a big sigh because she just couldn't take it anymore. And I prayed for this family and I thought, where's the peace that should be found in a family? 
and in a home. There's such a lack of peace here. The day I started this message, wow. We know this, but in our families, uh, it's easy to slip into these cycles. Call them unhealthy, call them dysfunctional in our relationships. Kind of like my brother and I when we were little. We'd be like wrestling on the bed or something, and, and I'd get him in a headlock. And, and, and I was like, I'm going to throw you off the bed. And he's like, no, if you throw me off the bed, you're coming with me. And so, okay, boom. And we, we hit the floor. And he's like, dude, you hurt me. And I'm like, no, you hurt me. And then we just kind of shrug it off and smiled and jumped back on the bed and did it again. And we wrestled again and just kept doing it. And in a similar way, if you think about it, many families, it, it boils down to you hurt me. No, you hurt me. Okay, well, let's do it again. And we just cycle. And we just cycle through. And, and so what happens is we have these challenging instead of peaceful relationships. Now, I don't know what it is for you, what it might be for you. Maybe you're trying to raise your kids and, and your mom is kind of looking over your shoulder all the time and giving advice and trying to control and you're like, stay out of it, mom, right? And so there's this tension between you and your mom. Or maybe it's the kids, your kids, and they fight all the time and you're driving the minivan. And you're like, I'm, I'm going to pull this van over and you count to three and nothing happens. And then you count to five and nothing happens. And inside yourself, you're in the front seat, and you're just wanting to go, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, right? Because what you want is you just want some peace, and you want some quiet, and you want the fighting to stop. There aren't many teenagers in this service. There'll be a lot more in the next, but maybe you're a teenager, and, and you're thinking, man, my parents are so controlling. They never let me do anything. They don't trust me. Or maybe you're in a blended family, and, and, and you're trying to raise your kids, and her kids, and our kids, and there's exes involved, and... And it's complicated and you're like, how could there ever be peace? And maybe for you, you haven't forgiven someone of something that happened many years ago. This morning, I've got some good news for you. And, and I want us to look at the Beatitudes of Jesus actually once. If you've got your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5. So Matthew 5 through 7. If you don't know, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is uh, some of the greatest teaching ever. And I'm convinced, we're going to look at one beatitude, I'm convinced that our good Father has something so much better in store for us. And I believe that He wants to restore peace in our homes, inside of our families, in those relationships. And as we go through this time together, here's what I'm actually praying. I'm praying that for some of you, maybe for many of you, if something's going on and things aren't, just aren't right, that... That God, I know He's not going to completely heal, maybe today He could, but that God would begin some healing in your hearts today and healing in your family. So let's look at Matthew 5 and verse 9. Jesus said this, Blessed are the what? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Children of God. So blessed are the peacemakers... For they will be called children of God. That's the NIV. I like that translation the best. So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, there are two primary words uh, in Scripture. There, there are a few more, but there are two primary ones that are translated as peace. So in the, in the New Testament, you have the Greek word is irene, uh, and it means quietness, it means rest, it means peace. The Hebrew word is the one I really want to kind of go after today. And that is, and because he was speaking to a Jewish culture for the most part right there, the word peace in Hebrew is shalom. And for thousands of years, 
it was a greeting, and, and, and people still do that. It's a well-known greeting. You just, shalom, you know, and, and we do that in our youth group. The kids make fun of me and stuff. But, but basically, peace be with you. Peace be upon you. Now, our English word for peace is so misused, it just doesn't seem to have much meaning like peace, dude, peace out, you know, whatever. I, I wish for world peace, you know, Miss America kind of deal. What does that mean? Okay, so we, we, we don't have much of a meaning there, but the word shalom doesn't just mean the absence of bad, like I wish that no harm comes to you. Shalom means this, and please don't, don't, don't miss this. It means I wish you the highest good. I wish you God's very best. I wish you blessing, His blessing. I wish you soul peace. So when, so when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers... He doesn't just mean, I want your, your home to be strife-free. No, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to have the highest good possible. I want the best. I want life to the fullest in your marriage, and in your parenting, and, and in your relationships in your home. Everyone listening to Jesus would have been shocked that day. So here he is, he goes through the Beatitudes. Why would they have been shocked? Because all eight of them are countercultural. All eight of them seem upside down, which in reality, they're right side up. Everything else is upside down. You, you recognize that when you become a believer in the kingdom is you start living life the way it should be, right side up. But it just, they would have been shocked. So I encourage you later to read Matthew 5 and, and the Beatitudes and study that a little bit. Everyone listening in that crowd would have been raised with the mindset of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You steal something from me, I'm going to steal something from you. You punch me, I'm going to get you in a headlock and then punch you. Boom, 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 you know, whatever. So I'm going to up the game. So, so they would have been shocked to hear Jesus say, Blessed, blessed are those that are peacemakers. Our Lord basically declared this. There is a higher calling for those of you who want to follow me. And it is completely opposite the values and, and standards of this world. I think it's vital to, to, to point out here that Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacekeepers. By nature, I'm a peacekeeper. Now, I've, I've changed that a little bit over the, as, as I've grown a little bit, but by nature, I'm a peacekeeper. And so what peacekeepers tend to do is avoid conflict in order to maintain or to kind of keep things under control and, and, and uh, you know, where, we can, where things don't kind of get out of hand. And not always, but peacekeepers uh, often kind of work around the issues, not through the issues, in order to kind of keep things from getting out of hand. Let's keep some peace here. And so what we do in our families is this. Things get kind of heated and we're like, okay, let's not talk about it. Let's have a truce. Let's sit down and let's all smile and have a happy family meal. Although we all know that there's tension behind the scenes and there's a lot going on there that's not being dealt with, so we smile and we do that over and over and over and over and over. But then what happens? Days go by, weeks, months maybe. And all of a sudden, something sets somebody off. Sets you off, sets a family member off. And there's like this, ah! I can't stand it anymore. You always do whatever. All right, you never listen to me. Leave me alone. I hate you. We don't like that last phrase, but it happens. I've heard it, right? And so we wonder, where does this all come from? Well, there are dozens of unresolved issues under the surface. We're not dealing with them beneath the surface. Jesus did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. 
Okay, just keep this. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are to make peace. And we're going to unpack that this morning. How do we do that? Well, what, what will a peacemaker do? Well, a, a peacemaker will embrace conflict to preserve the peace. A peacemaker will not work around the issues. They'll, they'll try to work through and on the issues, right? And with the help, and here's the cool thing. We're not alone. With the help of the Prince of Peace, the Sar Shalom, Jesus, the Lord of Peace, Lord of Shalom, we can experience His, His good, the highest good in our families, the best. Peace can be restored. You see, it is not enough just to be a Christian family. We need to have Christ-centered homes. Now, you may, may be wondering, well, what's the difference? I don't see any difference. And you know what? There really shouldn't be. Uh, but the word Christian in our society is, doesn't mean the same thing it used to mean. Some 80% or more of our culture says, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I think a lot of that is, I'm not anything else. Let me see, I'm not those things. Oh, I'm a Christian. But we would also agree that 80-some percent of our homes are not Christ-centered in the way they do life. So what is a Christ-centered home? Well, basically it means that Jesus isn't just part of our life. Like we got this pizza and Jesus is here and church is here. No, Jesus is life. He is our life. His Spirit lives inside of us. We are, to, we are following Him. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we know Him, we love Him, we're seeking to bring Him glory. And we, mom, dad, husband, wife, son, daughter, we are trying to become more and more like Jesus. In a home that is Christian in name only, what happens? Well, when things get difficult, forget Him. Forget her. We just walked out of church too. Well, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to forgive them. They're going to have to come crawling on their knees and beg me and all of this stuff. I'm not going to talk to them. But in a Christ-centered home, we ask, what does Jesus, if He's our Lord, He's our leader, He's our teacher, what does Jesus teach us about how to do relationships? And then we do that. The Apostle Paul says something very complimentary. Look at this. This is in Romans 12. And all these scripture references on the back of your outline if you want to look at them later. Romans 12. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now here's the power statement. If it is possible, and that's important because sometimes it's not. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? You. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes it's not possible, but if it is possible, do everything possible to live at peace. Then he continues with verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if we hold on to grudges, or we get even, or we even just continue to just withdraw and not deal with things, we will be overcome by evil. See, we think this is just a principle and it's just out there. No, that happens in our home. We will become overcome by evil. We will be overcome by unforgiveness. Overcome by hurt. Overcome by pain. Do you realize, you know, we talk about holding grudges. I'm holding a grudge or she's holding a grudge. Do you know that a grudge over time is not something really that we hold on to, but it's something that holds on to us? <laughs> We think, oh, I gotta hold, I'm holding on to grudge. I can let this. No, that thing, the more we hold on to it, the longer we hold on to it, it's got its, its claws inside of us. And the longer this grudge holds on to us, the more it grabs a hold of family members and people at work. And it affects everything and it affects everyone. And some of you in here, without going into stores, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Instead, we are to overcome evil by doing good to each other. We're going to be peacemakers. We're going to have Christ-centered homes. So what do peacekeepers do? Well, I want to unpack just three specific things. So if you've got your outline, you may want to fill these in. Three specific things. First thing is this. Peacekeepers tell the truth in love. Peace, not peacekeepers, I'm sorry. Peacemakers, I'm getting myself confused up here. Peacemakers tell the truth in love. So we will tell the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, I love this, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So when I speak the truth in love to someone, I'm actually becoming more and more like Jesus. Notice it doesn't say, yell the truth in love, right? Like, you always leave those clothes out here. <laughs> That's truth. Jesus came with grace and truth, thank God. Because you can be too much truth, you can be too much grace. Tell the truth in love, right? That's yelling. That's not in love. But in our families, we are to tell the truth in love. So how do we do this? This is not on slides. It's not on your outline. You may want to write these down. There's two practical ways you do this. First, speak the truth. Here it is. During non-conflict times. Speak the truth during non-conflict times. You're going to see as we go along, this isn't just about families. This is about relationships all through. This is, this is marriage. This is, this is co-workers. This, this is friendships. Speak the truth during non-conflict times. This is so important. If somebody's throwing a shoe at you because they're angry at you, <laughs> that's not the time to raise another issue, right? <laughs> In the middle of people arguing, ah, that's not a time to try to speak Speak truth at that point, probably. And some of you would say, well, we always have conflict in the house. I would say, well, if it's always, first of all, that's kind of strange. But second of all, I would say do it when it's not as heated. Okay, so choose, <laughs> choose non-conflict times when it's kind of quiet or it's people are re relaxing or whatever. Second thing is this. Write this down. Go after the issue, never the person. Now, this is hard because it's natural to attack a person. Go, try to go after the issue, not the person. Do your best to, uh, not to say, you did this, you always did this, you, 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 you. Okay, there was stealing involved. You, you stole. Let's talk about the stealing. Whatever, right? Speak the truth in love. Not just you, you, you know, you're a loser. <laughs> Whatever. Go after... The issue, not the problem. I know of a pastor in another church, and uh, he said, you know, he leads a small group in his home. And, uh, and they'll be in their small group, and he says, whenever his wife begins to talk, that she talks for a long time. Guys, I mean, we know this. But anyway, uh, so she talks for a long time, and he, he actually has a nickname for her and all that. But anyway, so what would happen is they, she would talk, and he would just, he's like, we've got to keep this moving. So he would kind of cut her off and then go to the next thing. Well, his, uh, his wife could have said, will you quit doing this, you preacher man? It's not all about you. You're not the one who always talks, right? So he said what happened is, is a few days after this, this one small group meeting, uh, she approached him when things were going well and there was no stress and just kind of kicked back. And, and he said that she said, Honey, you're an amazing husband and, and I love this about you. And she began to list three or four different things. She said, There's just one thing that you do that you probably don't realize you're doing because if you did, you wouldn't because it's really hurtful to me. In our small group, when I'm talking, 
you interrupt me and cut me off. And so she talked for a little bit and explained it, and he interrupted her. She said, just like that. <laughs> and Tammy's done that to me so many times. I'm like, sorry, honey. You know. And he said it was very effective because she affirmed him in that moment, and she didn't attack him. And she explained clearly how it made her feel and that she knew he didn't want her to feel that way. I wouldn't want my wife to feel that way either. And so he said that was such a good conversation because it helped him recognize when he's tempted to do it again. And it doesn't just go away. It, just, it comes back up. You know, look, look away. Let me go get some a apple or something. And, uh, and it's so much more effective than doing in the middle of the group and at a time where it would be tense. And he said the other thing is, is that she didn't just keep the peace. She didn't pretend like it wasn't an issue. She worked to make peace. She wanted to tell the truth in love. You could probably think of a lot of other examples and things like that. But as Christ-centered people, we are to tell the truth in love. There is truth, but there's love. And we need to love them enough not to work around the issues and keep covering it up and stuff, but to work through them. We go after the issue, not the person. And then we do it during non-conflict times. You start doing that, you're going to start making peace. You're going to start experiencing more of God's best in your home. Second thing is this, filling us in. Peacemakers... Also, apologize when they're wrong. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. I'm going to apologize when I'm wrong. You will apologize when you're wrong. Uh, James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will what? You may be healed. That is one of my... It sounds strange, but that is... The older I've gotten, the more ministry I've done, the more life I've done, relationships, that is one of the most powerful verses, and I love it. Because there is a level of healing that comes when we confess things and apologize when we're wrong. Will you forgive me? That comes. God heals us, but we get healed through other people too. And we need it in our relationships. Imagine what your relationships would be like if you hurt somebody, you recognized it, you confessed it, you owned up to it, and you said, I'm so sorry, what I did was wrong. I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? And then you prayed together. Now, I know that last part's kind of kind of awkward, kind of difficult, and it's probably because we haven't done it that much. And it may be in a situation where you, it probably wouldn't be best to pray with that person. But imagine if you owned up to it and you apologized and you were able to be honest with that person before God. How much healthier would our homes be? What type of atmosphere would begin to permeate through our, through our homes and our families if we would do that? So how do we do this? You may want to write this down. This is not in your notes either. Write this down. I own up to specific actions. I own up to specific actions. Here's what I did, and you name it, and you say, that was wrong, and there was no excuse for that. We don't say, well, sorry I was looking at something inappropriate, but if you were meeting my needs, you wouldn't have driven me to do that. That's not an apology. That's pathetic, right? I'm sorry your feelings got hurt, but you should be more grown up than that. Ooh, <laughs> I heard a loud laugh over here. That's not an apology. We apologize for specifics. I'm so sorry that I shared that secret in front of your friends. There's no excuse for that. Will you forgive me? That was wrong. 
Or, I didn't consider you. I should have called ahead of time to let you know that I was late. And I can see now why you're so worried. And that was, I'll, I'll do better next time. I'm sorry. Will you, will you forgive me? Please forgive me for raising my voice at you because that was, I recognize that was disrespectful. There is no excuse for that. Or please forgive me for dropping the cat off of the, off of the roof to see, if he would, to see if he would land on his feet. He did, but I shouldn't have done that. I was kind of joking about that last one. Sort of. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> Gary, I heard you. <laughs> There's a huge difference, catch this, between remorse and repentance. So often people stop with remorse. It's kind of like, well, I'm sorry I got caught. Or I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt. And I may be sorry, but that's remorse. Repentance is, I was wrong. I hurt you when I said, I sinned, I caused you pain, I offended you, will you please forgive me? When I, when I uh, sin, I don't say to God, God, I'm sorry, and that's it. I say, God, that was wrong, I agree with you that it was wrong, I repent, I change my mind, I should, you know, that's not where I should have gone, I own up to it, would you forgive me? You may want to write this down. Just saying I'm sorry is for mistakes. Just saying I'm sorry is for mistakes. I was wrong, will you forgive me, is for sin or an offense. Just saying I'm sorry is for mistakes. I was wrong, will you forgive me, is for sin. I'm sorry I left the toilet seat up. That's a mistake. Now there's some ladies in here that say, no, that's a mortal sin. Right, so I'm sorry <laughs> by itself is just for mistakes. But I was wrong, there's no excuse I apologize, will you forgive me? That's for harm and that's for sin. Uh, there have been so many times where I've blown it over the years with my family. And most of it's when you're stressed out or things are going on, frustrated. And saying I'm sorry was not enough. Uh, I remember one time in particular years ago where I yelled at Jake. And some of y'all going to come after you. Yelled at Jake? You know, I've got people in the church. Don't you yell at Jake? I know, I'm not going to yell at him. But I yelled at Jake and then he went off to his room and he, and he closed the door. And for a little bit, I stewed. You know, you know how when you know you did something wrong, but you, there's just that part of you that's just like, I just don't want to do this. I just don't want to forgive. You know, you know what I'm talking about. We all feel it. But I stewed for a little bit, and then I knew I'd hurt him. So uh, I also knew this. I'm smart enough to know this, that the longer that, that goes on, the distance, the, the bigger the gap and distance develops. So I went to his room, knocked on the door, and said, Jake, can I come in? He's like, yes. And I asked him, could we talk? And he said, yes. And now what would have been natural is to say, Jake, I'm sorry, but you made me mad. Uh, first of all, that, there may have been a little bit of remorse in there, but that's not an apology, which, by the way, nobody can make you mad. Uh, we do that to ourselves. So I said, Jake, I'm sorry that I said, and I, and I told him what it was, and I'm sorry that I yelled at you. You did not deserve that. I was wrong. Dad was wrong. Uh, I hurt you. There's no excuse. Will you f please forgive me? And Jake, like he always is, like, yes, Dad. You know, we got a big old, big old bear hug. And we sat there and hugged and hung out and talked for a little bit. And it was a healing moment. Now, imagine if I never went to Jake and owned up to it. Doesn't mean the world would come to an end. But there may still be some unresolved. There'd be some pain in there. There may be a little bit of a pullback. You see, when we confess and we apologize and we ask for forgiveness, the incredible thing that it does is it can free that person, but it also frees us. It frees us up. We are called to a higher standard, 
It is not okay just to be a Christian family. We are to be Christ-centered in all that we do. We want the highest good. So apply that to yourself. In my home, in my marriage, in my parenting, relationship with my kids, I want God's best, life to the fullest, something greater, something deeper. And, and I can be a part of that. So we can actively restore peace. We can make peace by telling the truth in love and by apologizing when we're wrong. Third thing, final thing is this. What do peacemakers do? Peacemakers forgive and let it go. Forgive and let it go. When I say that, I realize how hard this one is. And I, and I don't even know all know, but maybe just a few situations in this room of things that have happened in your life. There are some people sitting in this room today with some tremendous amount of pain, and I probably have not gone through what you've gone through. I realize that. For some of you, your spouse betrayed you. And they committed adultery maybe multiple times, and you're wondering how in the world will I ever forgive them. Some of you, you've trusted someone with everything inside of you and they lied and they deceived you and they left you in a really, really hard place and that is difficult to forgive. Those of you who have... There's some of you who have somebody in your family that instead of protecting you as they should have, did not protect you, maybe took advantage of you, maybe hurt you. And you wonder, how in the world will I ever forgive this person? I don't even want to. Please hear me on this. I am not saying it's easy. Far from it. But I'm saying two things. One, it's doable. And two, you forgive for your own sake. Do you know that forgiveness is... It is about the other person, but it is more for your own sake. Colossians 3.13 says it this way. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Don't you just love those last four or five words? So you must forgive others. Like, ah, oh, I don't want to forgive. And you felt this little kick in the gut when I read that. Okay, there's a command. I don't want to forgive. You must forgive others. Believe me, I felt the same way. But please don't miss this. You do not forgive the other person because they deserve it. Because they don't. Also this, forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a decision. It is an act of the will. It is a decision. You may not feel like it. You may not want to. But you can do it. Here's what I've come to, the way I've come to think about it. Forgiveness does not make any sense unless I've been forgiven. Forgiveness makes no sense whatsoever unless you have been forgiven. And have you been forgiven? Yes, absolutely. If you're in Christ, totally. Has Jesus freely forgiven you and of even though you didn't deserve it absolutely I know that I did not deserve it I could never earn it freely he forgave every offense every sin every thought every intention that was wrong all of that he forgave it all the NIV of that last phrase uh, so you must forgive others is forgive as the Lord forgave you and that leads to the next verse Ephesians 4.32 look at this it echoes it this way be kind and compassionate to one another Forgiving each other how? Just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as. The just as there, and if you need to go find out in your Bible later, do it and, and circle it and underline it and highlight it. The just as there redefines and upgrades the meaning of forgiveness. People who have been forgiven much 
forgive much. There's stories. I, we could go into we could we could talk about uh, Joseph. We can go into the parables of Jesus. There's a lot of things we can go through and, and study that. People who have been forgiven much forgive much. Forgiven people forgive people, right? We we do that, and here's here's how we do it. Just as Scripture said, we do that by shifting our focus from that person and what they did to the one who forgave us of all. That's how you do it. You keep looking at that person, and you keep staying wrapped up in that situation, you're not going to do it. Look to the one. Okay, free me. Let me give you, show you how practically to do this. I got you writing down a lot of stuff, so you need to write these three things down. Number one, identify who. Identify who. Who do you need to forgive? You say, well, that's simple. And it may be. But see, what happens is a lot of times people are very vague in general. Well, there was this crowd and there was this... No, who? Identify who. Be specific. Do, who do you need to forgive? Is it your mom? Your dad? Brother? Sister? An uncle? A son? Daughter? Who is it? Second thing is this. Determine what they owe me. You need to determine what do they owe me. Okay, so this person I need to forgive them. What is it that they owe me? reason I say that is because when someone has hurt you, there is a sense in which they have taken something from you. A debt is incurred. When, when there is hurt, somebody owes someone. What do they owe you? Get very specific. Well, they owe me my job. Or they owe an apology. They owe me my reputation. Right? They owe me a promotion. They owe me a marriage. They owe me a family. They owe me a chapter of my life. What is it? Be specific. What do they owe you? Who? Okay, got that clear. What do they owe me? This is what they owe me. This is what they need to do. Third part, and this is the hard one. Cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. Some of y'all can't even write it. <laughs> I don't want to write this. Cancel the debt. Do what Jesus did for you. Decide to cancel the debt. Here's what that means. It means that the offending party does not owe you anymore. Will it be difficult? Yes. You bet. Especially the more hurtful the offense. I've heard people say, you forgive and you forget. No, you don't. You forgive and you remember. You forgive and you remember. And when you remember, you have to remind yourself, I forgave that. I made a decision to forgive that person. When it comes back up again, and it probably will, and for some things it may keep coming back up, you refuse. Here's what you do. You refuse to open the case. Okay, you shut the case. You don't go, oh, okay, well, let me go back to chapter 3. You know, <laughs> Refuse to open the case. And as an act of the will, you canceled it. Because feelings are going to come, and feelings are going to go. They're going to rise, they're going to fall. But the decision has been made. He does not owe me that anymore. She does not owe me that anymore. I've canceled a debt. And here's the good news. I'm not saying it's easy, but here's the good news. If we forgive and let it go, we will be free. Look at this picture. Uh, Heather, can you show that picture? Lou, uh, I, think, I hope you can see that. Lewis Smead said this. He said, forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to discover that prisoner was you. Leave that up there in case somebody wants to take that picture. <laughs> take a picture of that. Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to discover that prisoner was you. Wow. I could have done a whole message just on part three on any of these. But family's worth it. 
we don't walk away from family. We don't cut family out. Family is worth it. And while we're at it, if we're followers of Jesus, family isn't just blood. Family goes beyond that into the body of Christ which was bought with His blood. So that means that we are family. Forever family. And this applies here. This applies in our relationships. My sons Jake and Ben, and, and a lot of you know them, they both look like me. Uh, they look like Tammy too, and they're lucky because their mom's so beautiful. But guess what? When we are peacemakers, when we seek to make peace, and, and we've talked about how you do that, when we tell the truth in love, we don't just tell the truth, but we do it in love. When we apologize and repent when we are wrong, when we own up to that, and that's our part. And then what we, when we choose to forgive and then let it go to cancel the debt, because Jesus has forgiven us much, guess what? We look like our Heavenly Father. We are conformed more to the image of His Son. We start, as that verse said earlier, we start looking more and more like the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to look at that anymore. I need to forgive. I'm putting my eyes on Him. I want to look like Him. That's how we do it. Let's decide... Because it is decisions. Let's decide to be a Christ-centered home. It's not enough to be a Christian home. Don't just say, i got a Christian family. No, we're Christ-centered. Let's build our lives on Christ alone. Right? Let's find our hope and our security and our peace in Christ alone. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What is God saying to you this morning? And what do you need to do about it? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much uh, for the move of your spirit. I thank you for the how you are a healer. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for freedom in you. But we also recognize, Lord, that sometimes we chain ourselves back up or we allow things to chain us up. God, in our homes, which you designed, you made, you created marriage, you created family, and we thank you for it. God, we want our homes to experience that shalom, that the highest good, life to the fullest. Your plan for us. We want that. That's what we desire. We want to be Christ-centered homes. We want to build our lives and our families, our marriages on Christ alone. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here today. Lord, if, if somebody's really struggling with something, Lord, would you just reveal to them what it is they need to do with this message. Lord, maybe there's somebody near them or somebody at the cross after the service that they can go pray with and say, please help me to know what to do or could you pray for me? Lord, it never ceases to amaze me how your way always frees us. Help us not to run back to the chains. Help us to see that for ourselves, in our marriages, with our families, that we would have the highest good 
to work at restoring peace. Have your way in us. We know you're just in some ways getting started today. Help us to process. Lord, there may be some of us, we need to go see a counselor. We need to go talk to someone. Would you place that upon our heart and give us boldness to do that? Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for that forgiveness that has forgiven us of everything in Christ. We pray that you be with us now as we give of our tithes and offerings, Lord. They belong to you. We're bringing them to you and saying, Here you go, Lord. We love you. We worship you. We thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us for our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.